This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 234 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Deepfakes and other synthetic media have been grabbing headlines recently for a spectrum of reasons, from unauthorized celebrity pornography to comedy memes and even alleged fraud cheating companies out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a rapidly evolving technology that, like most technological innovations, can be used for good or evil. Henry Ader is head of policy and partnerships at Metaphysic, an organization at the cutting edge of synthetic media. He joins us to help make sense of synthetic media and why, as security professionals, we need to stay vigilant about the pros and cons of the technology. Stay with us. So I started uh, after doing my uh, academic studies in philosophy as a researcher on emerging technologies, uh, always fascinated by the way that new uh, kind of exponential technologies fundamentally change the way that we need to kind of frame the world um, kind of socio-ethically. Um, and uh, I started doing research at a think tank uh, in London. At that time, which was around early 2018, deepfakes were first emerging as a new space where people were very concerned about how they were being used specifically in intimate image abuse um, and the implications of this technology's uh, arrival for many other areas such as disinformation and cybersecurity as we'll get onto today. Um, and so I, uh, from researching deepfakes, joined a company called DeepTrace, which was working on deepfake detection tools, where I pioneered a lot of the uh, world's first kind of mapping of the deepfake landscape, trying to help people understand what was exactly going on. Um, and from there, I then continued that research and work um, independently and then joined a Metaphysic who are generating synthetic media um, in July of this year. And I'm helping them to develop the technology responsibly and ethically um, and also working to help address those malicious uses still. You know, my recollection is is going back, I suppose, to the 90s. I think the first impressive example I saw was in the film Titanic, where they were taking some, uh, you know, digital versions of their stars' faces and putting them on some of the stunt people's faces. And it was early and it was a bit primitive, but it worked. It was effective. And, uh, of course, at the time, it was very slow and very expensive. And you fast forward to today, it seems as though... Over the past few years, there was kind of a an explosion of of availability of these sorts of tools. Like it it was uh, available for folks who didn't have the either the the finances or the technical uh, know how that was required before. One hundred percent, and I think uh, the the uh, uh, Titanic example is a good one. Another one is uh, is is Gladiator is another good example uh, with Oliver Reed where passed away and they synthetically recreated his face, but in a very painstaking frame-by-frame, click-by-click manual process, which, as you correctly identify, hugely expensive, requiring the cutting edge of the uh, of the craft, which was the preserve of Hollywood studios. Um, and what synthetic media and deepfakes really represent is a democratization of incredibly powerful technologies, which previously were in the hands of a very select group of, uh, of organizations and individuals. Um, the technology, even in the four years since it really first emerged in November of 2017, um, has has come on 
you know, hugely in terms of the realism of the outputs that these algorithms can now generate, um, in terms of the efficiency, so how much data they require to generate good outputs. Um, you know, some tools now only require a few images or, uh, you know, a few minutes of voice audio uh, to generate some fairly convincing outputs. Um, and as you correctly identified as well, there's also the accessibility angle, right? This is no longer very uh, tricky to use software, which requires computer programming knowledge. These are tools with friendly graphical user interfaces or kind of, you know, uh, app style uh, accessibility uh, fronts. Um, some of these require just a few clicks to generate an output, um, typically not of the highest quality, but still of a quality which is startling given what was accessible to the best uh, experts in the space just four years ago. So 100%, it's a, you know, it's deep fakes and synthetic media as a space um, really represents a democratization of incredibly powerful tools for fundamentally, you know, altering and in some cases entirely generating very realistic versions of reality. So where do we find ourselves now? I mean, when you look at the landscape, what are the concerns, but also what are the opportunities? Sure. So um, the landscape, since I first provided a mapping of the landscape back in 2019, has, has, hasn't really changed in, in a lot of ways, but in some ways there have been some quite notable ones, um, which is to say that back in 2019, the most startling finding of the report that we published was that um, the vast majority of deepfake videos online, um, uh, 96% were this form of intimate image abuse. This is swapping female celebrities' faces into pornographic footage um, mm. or using these tools to synthetically strip images of women. And again, it's a highly gendered issue. Um, and what we've seen, as I just spoke about, is that as these tools become more accessible, uh, the volume of this content has continued to increase quite rapidly. And also the numbers of victims have, have increased, but not just of celebrities, but increasingly private individuals, as the tools have also become accessible to private individuals. So the kind of malicious landscape of deepfakes still remains vastly on the side of, of, of this intimate image abuse and the gendered problem. Um, and we've also not really seen the kind of really critical deepfakes that some people have feared around, you know, uh, swaying elections or, um, you know, causing outbreaks of war uh, that of people often cite as kind of like, you know, the, the, the pressing the nuclear button cases of deepfakes in the disinformation space. Um, we haven't seen many, or if any, really deepfakes in this being used in this way. Um, we have seen people claiming videos of deepfakes, right? The inverse, saying mm. the real things are fake as a way of dismissing them. And, and that's certainly a problem that is actually right now much more serious and has caused genuine political issues, uh, for example, in Gabon, in Africa, um, and in Myanmar more recently. Um, but we haven't seen a huge amount of deepfakes and disinformation, and arguably that's because the quality is still not good enough for most people to replace traditional forms of media manipulation, which are much more uh, accessible and easy to do. Um, what we have seen change is an increase in the number of attacks in the cybersecurity space. So we've seen an increasing number of attempted attacks and some successful attacks using uh, voice synthesis or um, synthetic voice reenactment. Uh, that is kind of cloning someone's voice based on existing audio clips and then recreating that voice um, saying things perhaps to a you know payment controller or to a uh, subsidiary asking for transfers of money. And there have been at least allegedly cases uh, where this has um, 
this has been enacted successfully in some cases um, costing uh, a few hundred thousand dollars, for example, in other cases more recently reported from the UAE, uh, allegedly millions. Um, mm. These attacks are growing in frequency. Also seeing these I have att- to say, I just interrupt for a second. Um, I have to say that I, I remain skeptical of those. Um, and obviously I have a, a vested interest in uh, the manipulation of audio being it's, you know, sort of what I do. Um, but it seems to me like we're at the point where it would still be easier for a phone call, something like that, to simply hire a good mimic rather than... You know, someone says something and now you have to type in the response and it has to be generated. And it seems to me like for any sort of good flow of conversation, we're not quite there yet. Is my perception accurate or or am I off the mark? It's a great question. And I think it's a really important important point to raise, which is the people who have been reporting on these uh, attacks, um, you know, saying that they have happened, have not provided evidence, right? They have not provided a digital forensic report on the audio um, mm. And have been coming from you know insurance companies and cybersecurity companies who perhaps there is a vested interest right in saying that these are now becoming a problem um, in terms of the services they provide. Um, you're absolutely right that with all forms of deepfakes, whether that's visual, whether that's audible, even with that's text generation in some cases, um, it's still a long way to go for it to be of the quality where anyone can generate something which is indistinguishable from authentic uh, audiovisual media. Um, and in the case of voice, you, you're absolutely right that, you know, uh, creating a reactive voice that can react to questions or uh, replicate intonation or the kind of uh, the, the patterns of speech intimately is still very hard, um, particularly if you're looking to do that in a real-time voice skinning scenario. That's near impossible right now. Mm. Um, but the technology is getting significantly better. Um, and so these cases... It's it's questionable whether they're real or not. I think some of them probably are, and and some companies working in the space who have got sophisticated uh, detection techniques have indicated that they are. But you're right that there is a long way for this technology to go still before it's um, hyper-realistic for everyone to have access to. But perhaps that long way to go isn't 30, 40 years. We're talking maybe somewhere in the region of 5 to 10, right? Mm. When we talk about synthetic media, um, I think, you know, the deep fakes, the, the, the things that uh, rise to the attention of the media are what we all think of. Can you give us some insights? What are some of the other uses there that don't get all that attention? What are some of the legitimate uh, ways that these sorts of things can be put to use? Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, that, that is certainly really important. Um, there are lots of ways that synthetic media can be used uh, for creative or commercially useful um, cases or for purposes. Um, For example, synthetic media has already for a long time been a huge part of of Hollywood and entertainment, right? Like movie magic has been largely down to the the growing uh, power of VFX tools. And synthetic media promises to completely revolutionize what is possible, particularly with human actors in terms of recreating faces, or synthetically resurrecting actors, for example, uh, dubbing, you know, uh, providing dubbing in all different languages by changing lip movements, um, which is much more convincing for an audience, um, even changing someone's voice style to another language, right? So you could even preserve the actor's style of your speaking style. Um, it's really exciting. Um, 
We've also seen, we're also seeing, you know, artists using this in lots of really interesting and exciting ways. Um, you know, there's there's lots and lots of different projects going on in that space. Um, you know, for example, providing, um, you know, uh, satirists and 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 kind of people working in that space, new tools for critiquing and and uh, mm. and, and and you know, use, using the technology in a in a kind of like a exploratory way, I guess you could say. Um, and then there's also a huge amount of interesting use cases commercially, right? Um, looking at providing videos um, that replicate your likeness um, so that you can send an email to a client and then you have an avatar of yourself speaking um, in that context um, so that it's a much more personal style of communication. Or in the case of uh, podcasting, as we're doing now, tools where when I uh, or I are or I make a mistake, you can use synthetic voice replication to edit small pieces of that that audio to make it more seamless, to make it flow better, um, which I'm sure you you would rather you had today, uh, given my interview. <laughs> um, so, so you know, there are lots of positive uses of the technology, and that's I've just just skimmed the surface there. Um, and I think we do need a more nuanced conversation around synthetic media, which is the technology is here. We need to be careful. We need to recognize the immense responsibility that comes with developing these techniques. But we also need to understand that, you know, a lot of technologies have malicious uses. Some are explicitly designed for malicious use. And obviously, some of these algorithms for synthetically stripping images of women are explicitly malicious. But there are lots of tools which, you know, if developed responsibly, if, uh, you know, shared responsibly, um, have, have a lot of potential to really enhance and actually improve the world in a way that I think doesn't necessarily get as much coverage as those quite scary uh, malicious uses. You know, one of the editing tools that we use here has that capability. It has been trained on my voice. And so if I misspeak or mispronounce something, one of our editors can go in and and make a change without having to have me come in and reread something. Um, That is both convenient for me, but also a little bit scary because... um, other people can put words in my mouth and those words come out in my voice. Absolutely. I believe you're probably using Descript then, right? Which is the, the tool I was referring to. Yes, we to. are. Yes, we yeah, are. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think it's, a, it's a great point, right? And this is where, for me, coming from a, you know, a background in philosophy, but also looking at this from a societal perspective, there are some really interesting pressing questions that synthetic media raises, which aren't, you know, the... The, the kind of explicitly malicious or explicitly societally beneficial ones, but some of these gray areas, right? Like, should should your audience be allowed to, or should your audience know? Sorry, let me, can I start that again? Yeah. Um, so that raises some really interesting questions. For example, should your audience have a right to know the segments where your voice is being synthetically uh, recreated to improve the flow? Should there be a disclaimer at the start of the episode that not all of this is original audio? Um mm-hmm. You know, in the case of synthetically resurrecting deceased individuals for film and television, even if there's consent from their estates or from their from their family members, you know, is that enough? Is that enough to make it ethically okay? Um, so th- with these really disruptive new technologies, which synthetic media certainly fits into, we really are in uncharted territory in a lot of senses as to, well, how do we navigate not just the really explicitly malicious uses in, in you know, fraud and in disinformation and uh, non-consensual image abuse, um, but but also these kind of difficult questions where we don't have this straight answer, these gray areas. 
Um, and that's something that the community working on generation and indeed at, at, at Metaphysic, we've set up an organization called Synthetic Futures, you know, are precisely designed to explore these kinds of questions because, you know, it's much better to figure it out now than to do unexpected harm or to see unexpected consequences arising and have to reactively change for those for those issues. So it's a fascinating space, as I said, one which I think lacks some nuance in the general kind of dis, uh, discussion in, in the public mm. sphere, um, but one that is coming and, and we need to prepare for in, in all of its different forms. For the security professionals out there, what are your recommendations in terms of them calibrating the amount of time and energy and resources that they put into this, of, of keeping this on their radar in, in an appropriate way? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, and I think the the answer is, is, as usual, is kind of, it's not to panic, but it's to be vigilant, be aware, and, and to prepare ultimately. So one of the, the, the key angles that poses probably the most threat right now is um is is biometrics actually so it's it's using uh, deep fakes which animate faces or mirror voices to trick liveness detection or uh, you know facial ID or or, mm. or voice ID and so I think you know maybe checking the vendors who are using those those tools or if you're a developer being aware of these adversarial attacks that deepfakes could pose to your systems making sure that you're aware of what the latest models are that are easily accessible for generating voices or or animating faces making sure that your systems can deal with those right is really important um and i think if you're a business which has cybersecurity protocol and 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 you know uh, it, you know has that infrastructure in place think about well you know, if we know that calls are allegedly at least coming in from people who sound exactly like my boss, which which may not be my boss, um, what can we do about that? Well, maybe it's a case of having a kind of semantic password. So it's a question that you ask, which only they could own, know the answer to, which mm. is, you know, which is which is a kind of, as I said, a, a kind of like a semantic and meaningful thing that, you know, just because it sounds like someone doesn't mean they, you know, they could they could answer. So, as I said, I think you know we're not at the stage right now where everyone is 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 being attacked day in day out, um, and that there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. But I think we should look at the the image abuse side of things as a as a warning of what's to come, because that started off just targeting the top level celebrities, and now millions of everyday women are being attacked using these tools. And I think there's a very similar pattern which will likely emerge in the cybersecurity space, which is right now, allegedly at least, it's it's the big banks, it's the you know it's these kind of companies that are seen as vulnerable or, or cash cows that are being targeted. Um, but moving forward, it may be as common as getting you know spam calls, or it might be as common as uh, the texts that everyone's getting about parcel deliveries, right? Um, and so I think being aware, being vigilant, and kind of thinking about, well, what can we do in terms of building in safety mechanisms right now is a, is a good place to start. One thing I would warn your audience of is, um, is, is believing too much in detection as a guaranteed solution, which will inevitably arrive as, as kind of a super secure and reliable tool. Um, the start of 2020, Facebook announced the results of their deepfake detection challenge, which was a visual challenge looking at visual media. 
Um, and the best tool in there, I think, got 66% accuracy, which isn't much better than a guess, right? Um, mm. And so, you know, we've seen how in certain contexts, detection tools have given false positives, which have given people false confidence, right? That something is fake or real. Um, and because of the nature of this dynamic, as many of your listeners will know in, in the cybersecurity space, right? Um, this adversarial dynamic where attackers are constantly uh, reverse engineering systems and kind of you have to discover they've reverse engineered your system before you can fix it in a lot of cases. Um, detection is, is always going to be a challenging proposition, especially in those really critical scenarios. Certainly not a tool that on its own, I think is enough to have that real peace of mind. So I think it's just worth being aware that detection is a really challenging proposition um, to get right. And uh, relying on that being the kind of the ultimate solution here is is probably not a, a wise one. Our thanks to Henry Eider from Metaphysic for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web, Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.